We really did the 1%. We took a lot more serious. Recovery was a big part of it. I remember we met with Mal Meninga. Steve Edwards introduced me and he just kind of shook his head at my recovery. Like I was driving hundreds and hundreds, of, like 1,000K a week to train. And, you know, he just shook his head, like coming from a really professional sporting, coaching, Queensland, you know, legend status to watching this bloke drive down from Sunshine Coast to Cooper every day to train was ridiculous. So we changed a lot of things. We got really serious and yeah, we went on and had some pretty good success. I ended up retiring on my own terms with a record 19 wins, two losses and a draw. Was my own terms until last year when I decided to have a comeback at 42. But then everything happens for the reasons and it was obviously right. It was obviously meant to happen and the lessons were there. And I really embraced and enjoyed the preparation, which I, I can't say I ever did stop to enjoy the preparation in a boxing prep when I was in the middle of my career because you were just killing yourself to be the best. Hi, I'm Ryan Gonsalves and welcome to a Second Wind Academy podcast, a show all about career transition through the lens of elite athletes. Each week, I invite a guest to the show who shares their unique sporting story. Please join me to delve into the thoughts and actions of athletes through a series of conversations. Don't worry, there's plenty to learn from those of you that aren't particularly sporty. Elite athletes are still people after all. Let's be inspired by the stories of others. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for uh, having, me, having me on board tonight. Great. I am, I'm looking forward to our conversation because you've transitioned in and out of sports and now I'm you know, really intrigued to talk about how you are giving back to the sport and helping that next generation come through. I think there's going to be a lot that our listeners can take from this conversation. So thanks for taking the time out to join me today. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, 100%. What uh, your podcast reaches, all parts of me, I've transitioned through sports my whole life. I've then gone into business going on eight years ago, and that's correct. I now give back to the sport in some levels. I assist and coach in different parts, and I uh, also work on performance and mindset in different parts. I give back to a range of other sports as well, so it's not just boxing. I'm, I'm involved in junior netball, mainly coaching for my daughters, one of my daughters, and uh, in taekwondo, actually, with uh, another one of my daughters. Very active family, and it's... That involvement with team sports, boxing's a very solitude sport in a lot of ways, but you need a very good team around you to really succeed, and that's often forgotten. There's only that said, there's only ever one person there getting punched in the face, and that that's you. But there really is a broad team in the background working tirelessly to try and help those boxers, help me, help people trying to reach their best. And although I'm quite busy in business these days. I'm lucky enough to be involved with, you know, a handful of high-caliber young professional fighters. Keeps me very stimulated with the sport and also, you know, ringside on the fight nights, I help out with the cuts. And that's very, very much a part I love. Without being selfish to the coaches, you really do get the best seats in the house. You're all action. You're all in. You're very involved with the fight. And you do take the highs and lows. I mean, you do take those those losses and wins as well. But it's a different beast with a coach and a fighter. And like I said, without sounding selfish, you kind of do get the best of both worlds in that that split second of a moment. You know, you don't get the highest of highs that you get. 
because you're just a cut man helping out or, you know, helping out one day a week or two days a week. My capacity at this point is about that. But but you do, it's not as high highs, but probably not as low lows, but it definitely keeps me very passionate and involved with the sport. So that I'm very grateful for, yeah. That really is interesting. Got my mind going already. What do you think attracted you to the sport of boxing in the first place? For me, to be totally honest, boxing was a sport that I high-functioning young kid, I suppose, without putting labels on things, very busy kid, very full-on, very energetic. I wouldn't say overly hyperactive as as a young kid, but very energetic, very full-on. And I played rugby league all my life from like four years old because my father was coaching footy, that's what he did. My brother was nine years older, so he played rugby league from... From when I could walk, I was around the, the footy field on a weekend. Uh, I was ball boy from as, again, as, as early as I could walk. So I just transitioned. I was playing footy at four and a half years old in the under sevens, I think. And I was pretty blessed. I played with a lot of good quality players. You know, when I transitioned into my actual age groups, I went from four and a half in the under sevens because I didn't have an under sixes. Then the next year I was in under sixes at five. And then by sevens, I'd reached my actual age group. And we really had a real blessed bunch of talented football players and I I would put a lot of those names well ahead of me I was lucky enough to be a halfback so I was very much a, a playmaker and a ball maker and maybe the, the the brains of the outfit but there was definitely a lot more talent on that field than me and that's actually where I met one of the guys that introduced us David but yeah I started boxing uh, in the off seasons to rugby league like I said I was pretty full-on and I wouldn't even say hyperactive I'd say very full-on and involved and energetic and I needed stimulation and mum and dad took me to the boxing gym in, in the, the cross season, the off season. And I did that for three or four years from about 12 years old, I think. Then the under 15s, I, well, no, under 14s, I snapped my leg with two minutes to go running down, uh, trying to score a try in Shark Park at, at Sharky's uh, main ground there for the grand final with two minutes to go. I remember it clearly as a 14-year-old. I've forgotten a lot of things in my life, but there's some things that are ingrained in your, in your memory. Yeah, so I stumbled my leg and I think that was at the point where I realised I was too small for the game. I knew it and I was never, I didn't grow like the other guys grew. I, uh, I was late to mature, you might say, uh, in, a, in a nice way of putting it. So I went, you know what, I'm just going to go all in on boxing for a year. And I think I had five or six amateur fights for four or five victories. I, I won a novice state title or something like this out of the Sutherland PCYC under a fantastic old coach named Skip, Fred Lenful. So that was my introduction to boxing. It was a part-time thing, and then it it really did consume me. The initial part was the fact that I could fight people my own weight uh, as a small kid. So that was very attractive. As I got older, it was like I can go in there and it's me or them. Uh, There's nowhere to hide. There's no 13, 12 other players to pass the ball to on that field. It's just you and them. And that was very attractive to me, I guess, throughout the years. And I I fell in and out of the sport. So um, I didn't box from, say, 15 through to when I retired at 33. I had lots of highs and lows on my journey. Lots of highs. I travelled extensively, but I had my fair share of lows, you know, with substance and alcohol abuse. I I don't get attached to that story per se anymore but it was a big part of my life I battled addiction quite heavily at a young age at a junior age at sort of late teens through to through to I left the country when I was 21 and and even beyond but you know, I think escaping Australia and the Sutherland Shire you might say definitely helped at that point in my life then I never really stepped back in you know sorry you first 
Yes. So, Brett, just let me understand sort of that time series a little bit, because, you know, for you, you know, this terrible break as a as a junior rugby league player, I guess that opened up then that opportunity for you to take boxing more seriously. Was What was it like then for initially for that dream of rugby league? To what extent was that dream for rugby league then taken away from you? Was, were you then too late to be able to progress after that broken leg? So I took a season off and went to boxing. And you talk about like the effects it has on, on you mentally. And I don't take this off, any of this for granted. And I don't, I don't joke about any of that. But I've always been um, built, I suppose you might say, with an innate resilience. I, I come from a, you know, a, a couple of tough families and it's not that I haven't suffered mental health issues of my own over the years, you know, drug-induced addiction and depression and stuff like this. But for me, and I, I do realise just reflecting literally now that when I have a setback, I just change tact and, and go again. You know, nothing's going to keep me down. Just going to refocus and go again. It's um, and I notice that more so now than ever. You know, I've I've had setbacks. I, I had actually had a professional boxing match last year at age forty two, and after an eight and a half year layoff, and I refused to fight. And nobody had fought a, a a relatively a guy that had been retired about twelve months. He won an Australian title. He fought some of the big names like Stevie Spark in Australia. These are accomplished fighters. And I'd been out of the ring for eight years. He was a bigger fighter than me. But I wanted that challenge. And I, I truly believed that I had what it took to win. I, I went back there for my 20th professional victory. I retired with 19 wins. So had a reality check pretty quickly in about round one or two. This was going to be a tough night at the office. And I got beaten, you know. And everyone was like, how are you managing this? It's like, oh, well, it, I did my best. Like I trained hard. I, I did the best I, I could with the, the time that I had. I'd been out of the ring eight years. You can't buy that time back. You can't fix ring rust. It is a, it's a real thing. And uh, I got in there. I had a red hot crack. But my response is that, and I think I did a, either a, a video or a podcast about my reflection upon that. And I was like, you know what? I've got four young kids and they'll all ringside for that. And they're like, oh, how's it make you feel to see your kids see you lose? I'm like, well, they see a really driven, really go-getting father who does everything to win, that everything he does in business, in sport, and everything he does, he go for life by the throat. He wants to win. And he saw they saw me lose, and I was very humble in defeat. I was like, oh, well, guys, that's all good. We, we just change tack. We go again. We just get back on that horse and we keep riding. So kind of a bit of a side traffic there. So I dance. But for me, I stepped out of the sport at 15 to box. I had a year in boxing, and this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Uh, my life went was unraveling quite heavily with addiction at that point, and I went back to rugby league in the 17s as a skinnier kid in worse ways, probably mentally and physically, than I should have been. And we went on to win the comp undefeated, and I won best and fairest that year. So it really was a bit of a rubbing people's nose in it, saying that you can't do what you do on the weekends and not show the respect to your body and be the athlete you should be and then, and then just turn up and win. And, and you know, I did. No, I don't, uh, I don't admire that part of me at all. I'm very strict on myself in this day and age. I'm very strict as an athlete. I run a marathon this weekend, funnily enough. You know, I'm very, very, very strict on myself. But back then I was, I was a 17-year-old kid and I was unraveling. I really was unraveling and I was, I did succumb mentally to addiction. I, I don't, I don't see it as the same thing that I saw it then. I see it, it was a story that I attached to with some generational stuff there with my family and stuff, and I was happy to attach myself to that. But I think it's just a matter of 
changing focus and, and redirecting yourself and going again, whatever the, whatever the setback. Yeah, that's a lot that you as, as a young individual had to go through. As you look back at that period and that, you know, moving into coming out of rugby, dealing with that substance abuse, at the time, how did you deal with that? I don't think I managed myself very well at all or, or dealt with it very well at all. I spent my 19th birthday in a, a rehab and detox and rehabilitation centre in, in Northern Sydney. I didn't have the skills to manage myself at all then. And, and back then, you know, mental health was a topic more discussed in AA meetings. Like the old, the idea of actually talking through, you know, you're just labelled. And that's where I've got a little bit of problem with that space these days that it creates a victim in people where there doesn't need to be. I acknowledge and I'm very conscious of how I try and verbalise this because I acknowledge that addiction is, is a real thing in a lot of people's minds. But for me, after a 10-year kind of journey of self-discovery and coming back to myself how authentically as I have been able to be, I've learned that there's no such, for me, and I'll say for me because I don't want to pretend I'm a doctor or anything or that I, I just know what's true for me. And I know that it's true, I might, I might add on a lot of fronts, that dictionary is a, a level of escape. And when you start to face the realities of the fear, the, the trauma, whether it be generational, whether it be story, whether it be validation, just trying to fit in, whatever it is, and it always comes back to those core topics that are created as a child. Like these are our, our fingerprints are created as a very young, young age. And that's, you know, we live and breathe what we learn in the first seven years of our journey. We might tack on some of the the years between 7 and 14, and then maybe 14 and 21 gets a snippet as well. By then you're fully developed and you are believing the beliefs that you learn at a very young age. So it's taken me a long time between I'm 42 and I've probably been working on that 10 years. But back then I, I didn't have the skills and I didn't have – I had the support. I had a very good company that I worked for, an electrical company. I left school at 15 to become an electrician. They supported me wholly. They paid for rehabilitation. They kept me employed after I'd finished it. But it was a real tough challenge coming out, growing up in the Shire uh, and not coming out of, say, a rehab clinic at 19. Like, I, I couldn't wait to escape the country at 21, put it that way. And so I know you spent time overseas and part of that recovery process. I'm interested to understand how sport, how, you know, finding boxing and navigating your way through that period. What was that transition moment for you like? Mate, when I – so I left the country – 21. I come back at about 25. I've got a beautiful wife and, and four young children now. I have been with Taryn 15 years, I think, about that. Anyway, before that, there were, I had a previous girlfriend. It was an emotional breakup and I had come back from Australia after a year and a half in Egypt uh, teaching scuba diving and I come back and flew straight into the Shire right in the middle of the Cronulla Rites. And I just couldn't quite fathom what was happening. I've looked at Australia very judgmentally, particularly after a year and a half in the Middle Eastern country, very respectful of the Muslim culture. And then coming back to that, I was just like, I'm out of here. And mum and dad had moved to the Sunshine Coast. We had come here for many, many, since my childhood as a school holidays. It was always their dream to retire and that they'd retired up here. So I come to the Sunshine Coast, I had no friends. I had no real relationships other than my parents. 
I met a girl in, in Europe, in the UK, and we actually reconnected over here on the sunny coast. It didn't work out. It was a very messy and emotional breakup for me. And I was falling, finding myself falling back into a place I didn't want to be. And I said, I need to do something else. I need to do something else. I need to get out of this rut. I know where it's going. I know where it's going to end because I've been there. And that was boxing. So I walked back in the gym at 26 years old. I had... I think 11 amateur fights in a very short consecutive period within 10 months. And then I lost a state title, which we felt short change. But this is amateur boxing. Nothing is a given these days or ever. It never has been. And then I launched straight into a professional boxing career as a very raw, angry, emotional kid, really. Like I was still that kid at 26, 27 years old. At that time for you, turning pro as a boxer, what had you dreamt of? What was your end game? Sorry, I missed that. As a boxer, what was it you were trying, when you turned to become a pro boxer, what were you really trying to achieve? Did you set your sights on being a world champion or was it simply something to distract you or you know, take you away from your day-to-day life? I love the way you've said that, distraction. And, you know, when you say day-to-day life, you could probably have said pain. Like I was I was running from myself at that point. I was very angry. I was lost, to be honest, and, and boxing helped me find myself. I really didn't, like I said, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any great relationships. The relationships I had that I'd grown up with in Sydney were all based around substance and alcohol and drug abuse. So what boxing did do for me, and it didn't happen straight away, but once I turned professional, I chalked up some good victories in pretty fast succession. And I actually, you know, I was in the, the local papers a lot and the local news of an evening. And what it did do, it, it gave me an identity when I didn't have one. And it gave me um, a pretty healthy identity. It, it made me proud of who I was and helped me find myself and it helped me dig deep when the chips were down. It, it helped me keep punching when I wanted to give up. It, all the things that, that attracts those broken children to boxing or the, the hard luck stories, you know. I, I come from a loving family, but we're blue collar. We're working class. We didn't come from much. So it was all of that to me. I didn't really care about winning titles at first until I got to about, I think I was eight now, five or six knockouts, something like this. I had an undefeated record. One draw, my first fight was a draw in Cronulla. I was a technical draw, so a head class, so didn't go to the judges. And yeah, I got the opportunity to fight for the Australian title. That was when I went, wow, I've actually done something with my life. Because to that point, I mean, I'd travelled the world. I finished my electrical apprenticeship at 19, but I was plagued with just negative beliefs and you know, lack of self-love, I really struggled to accept myself, I guess. I, I never really guess I felt that I fitted in. So when I got the opportunity to fight for that Australian title and half the boys from Sydney come up for it, I really felt like I'd done something with my life. Like I said, even though I'd, I'd done pretty well, I, I bought my first property at 19 years old. Like I, I'd been quite successful, but I didn't feel that way. Where boxing gave me an identity that I, I can't quite uh, explain how proud it made me of myself in a person that still felt like a broken child inside. And then to win the Australian title, and it really felt like I'd climbed to the top of a mountain. And I say this, I've said this a hundred times over, I'm sure. But everything after that was just a bonus. The Australian title, I didn't realise, I didn't set out to do it. But when that opportunity, like to become the champion of your country, and I, I held that, I'm very um, 
patriotic and I'm very proud to be an Australian and uh, to hold that for two and a half years. I defended it multiple times. It was a it was a real real highlight of my boxing career. Yeah, you know, just listening to you, looking at you say it as well, you can tell the pride exudes. You know, can really see it, which I think is wonderful. I mean, and just briefly, I'm now interested. You say everything else was a bonus, but it sounds like it was a great bonus that followed. Hundred percent. I mean, it, it definitely transitioned into a more serious game after that. We're like, what's next? I mean, I held the Australian title for, uh, yeah, like I said, two and a half years. I got beat by uh, Jack Assis, I think, somewhere along, not like a, a, like a three or four fights after this. It might not have even been that many. I'm not, I can't remember. But uh, I got beat by him, which was he. Jack went on to win the, the IBO featherweight or super featherweight world title. He was uh, a great Filipino fighter. But I come off, back off that and I, I held the Australian title. I think I defended the Australian title against a great Aussie fighter, Mick Shaw, at lightweight. Then two weeks later, I flew to Cronulla and I, I fought for the WBA PABA title, Pan-Asian title, which uh, secured you a top 15 world ranking with a win at junior welterweight. So I went up a division, which means you can't hold a regional belt and a national title in the same division. You relinquish. So you win an Australian title and you fight for a regional, you relinquish that title. But because I, for a period there, I had the WBA power and the Australian lightweight title. It was, um, it was a magical little time in my career. But yeah, we went on to do better. I mean, I worked, to be honest. I know that there is more money in boxing now. There is more support, more sponsorship, more mainstream media. But, I mean, they, I know they still work hard in the background and a lot of them still run, hold down a, a full-time job. But, but back then, we were in the dark ages, you know. Besides Anthony Mundine and, and Danny Green, you know, they were holding the flag pretty much the whole of Australian boxing. And, and the only time you got seen on TV was if you fought on one of their undercards. So we were in the dark ages a little bit. So we worked very hard for our pennies and, and I worked for the majority of my career. At the back end of it, we did. I had a great uh, boxing manager, Stephen Edwards, and a great team down at Cooper Boxing Gym where I finished my career. And they really, we really did the 1%. We took a lot more serious. Recovery was a big part of it. I remember we met with Mal Meninga. Steve Edwards introduced me and he just kind of shook his head at my recovery. Like I was driving hundreds and hundreds, of, like 1,000K a week to, to train. And, you know, he just shook his head, like coming from a really professional sporting, coaching, Queensland, you know, legend status to watching this bloke drive down from Sunshine Coast to Cooper every day to train was was ridiculous. So we, we changed a lot of things. We got really serious. And, yeah, we went on and had some pretty good success. I ended up retiring on my own terms, with a record of 19 wins, two losses, and a draw. was my own terms until last year when I decided to have a comeback at 42. But then you know, everything happens for the reasons, and it was obviously right. It was obviously meant to happen, and the lessons were there. And I and I really embraced and enjoyed the preparation, which I, I can't say I ever did stop to enjoy the preparation in a boxing prep when I was in the middle of my career because you were just killing yourself to be the best. There are too many stories of bankruptcies, mental health issues and unfortunately suicide and so I think it's time to act. Every year we see thousands of athletes that reach a point where they need to consider their life after elite sport. This might be at retirement, injury or they need to juggle dual careers between sport and a job. As a former English professional footballer, I have somehow managed to transition from sport into banking, strategy, innovation, and now life coach, career practitioner, and founder of the Second Wind Academy. 
So I want to help those around me find their career second wind. Find me on Insta or through my new Facebook group, Second Wind Academy, where I'd love to know your thoughts and suggestions. You're telling me the story, though, of achieving those highs, turning pro, meeting some legends of Australian sport and getting guidance in terms of what, you know, how to become even more professional than you were. At what point did you start to recognize that your professional boxing career was coming to an end? Yeah, that's a great question. I fought a guy called King Kong Sisai Thong from Thailand, and it was a brutal exchange. It was a brutal 12-round war. The only time I went the full 12 rounds in a fight I'd been, I'd been sanctioned on, I think, three or four, but it was the only time that I went 12 rounds. And if you know anything about boxing or even the, the language around it, it was a fight that could have been fought in a phone box, okay? It was that. It was just toe-to-toe, center ring, there was no, you know, after about around three or four, the, a lot of the skill went out of it and it was like, it was a war. I think I dropped him uh, three times. I dropped him three times, three eight counts over the course of the fight. I think I went down once. And uh, I got married nine days later, okay, and I was in a hell of a state. I had stitches all up the front of my head. You know, so I was probably the only, one of the only males who has a makeup artist for his uh, Second Wind Academy specialises in supporting individuals who are looking for their second wind in career. The key thing is to remember that reshaping your career, recrafting and transforming your career is a team sport. So don't do it alone. If you're thinking that I might be able to help, then please get in contact with me through my website on www.2ndwind.io. That's www second wind.io it's also in the show notes